content of my job is closer to to academia, but the actual performance of my job, getting on stage and, and like having hundreds of people or sometimes tens of people, like lately that we're coming back to in-person training, it feels closer to being a performer. So you're a clown. Um, <laughs> you're a total clown, my friend. I don't think I am. But you don't know it yet. Have you ever wondered why it is that we do what we do and who we do it with? Then this is a podcast for you, an exploration of human beings through systemic psychology and Unani biotypes with Rodrigo Garcia Plates, Ross Everett, and Brian McElhaney. This is Biotypical. I just got to London. I was in the Fringe. It's crazy. I was there for a month and it felt like my whole I can't, I feel like I was there for years. Like truly it was, you know, every day is so packed with so much activity and you have such a purpose towards every day and you meet a million different people. I was out till 5am every night, waking up at like noon or 1pm, like a college kid. It was, I felt amazing though. I felt so full of adrenaline and like, I felt healthy, even though I wasn't, it was really, it was great. (laughs) You felt sanguine. I felt healthy even though I wasn't. I, yeah, I, exactly. I turned full sanguine. <laughs> My nickname was Mr. Fringe, apparently, at the festival, because I just Whoa. tried to see, I like saw every show I could and like just kind of like jumped onto every show I could and was just okay. trying to like. Brian, wait. We haven't seen you in a while and not everybody knows where you were, even though we, we, we talked about it a lot. Can you please yes. tell us everything? Where did you go? What did you do? I'm excited about this. Gosh, I haven't even told anyone this, so it's going to come out just as a, a bunch of nonsense. But I, I went to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, which is the largest, basically, festival in the world. And it, uh, it's 25 days straight in this small town called Edinburgh in Scotland. And you perform with 4,000 other shows every single day. Every show performs at the same time every day. It kind of becomes like Groundhog Day after a while. And you just do it. And their shows range from comedy to like all types, from clown to circus to stand up to improv to experimental theater to true plays to, I don't know, some stuff that can't even be described. And it's anything, if you can get a space in the city limits of Edinburgh, you're in the festival. And so you go and we went with a bunch of great friends and we just basically had this month where we performed every night at 7.45 p.m. in this crazy little thing. We, we Halfway through the festival, we had sold out our whole run. And like the buzz for our show was like really awesome and amazing. And then we just kind of spent the rest of the time just going and seeing as many shows as we can and like becoming friends with artists from around the world. And then at night, you'd all just sort of get together and hang out and bitch moan about reviewers and audiences and what it's like. And everyone was having these breakdowns, but it was so like artistically fulfilling. And every day you just had to do it again and do it again. And it was like, I don't know, it was everything I've been talking about wanting to do and be as an artist was fully encapsulated in this month in a very real way. It was, it was incredible. I really loved, I'm, it felt like you were just like summer camp for hormonal theater teenagers on crack, <laughs> <laughs> which is my It crew. sounds like Squid Game's play version. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> it kind of feels like that sometimes. <laughs> it gets that intense. Okay, so wait, just just for us to, uh, those of us that are not in the theater world, yeah, because yeah. I know Ross knows extensively about this, but I, I don't. I've done yes, the Adelaide Fringe Festival, so I, like, I'm just sitting here nodding. You might not hear me speak a lot in this episode because I'm just going to be looking at Brian just with like, joy and pride in my eyes. I mean, you've had a very similar experience with very with the same people with too, the same which is crazy. People. Yeah. That must have so, been so weird like just me like being part of the crew that I you knew. were with in Adelaide. 
if we, if we can roll the tape back to like episodes where you talked about going to this and how I was just like, Brian, this is going to be the most amazing month of your entire life so far. Okay, wait, wait. I don't know that connection. Can you please break that down for the rest of us? So when I first got into clown comedy, it was through this guy, Zach Zucker, who like pretty much was like Ross come study clown in France. And I, mm. I, oh, that's, that's when you went to France. That's when I went to France and I studied clown and I met all of these students at this, this school called Ecole Philippe Collier, which is, uh, oh. in this, I know, right. It's in this little, you know, <laughs> farm town. That name, by the way, means nothing outside of fringe at fringe. It's like, you went to Gaulier, you know, yes. Gaulier. Like it's so, it is, it is <laughs> a completely cool. like Steven Spielberg of clown. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, you went that direction with. It. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. It's the Rodrigo Garcia Plattis of personal development. Ross? It's the Rodrigo right. Garcia Plattis of the clown world, um, where it's like people <laughs> that have gone through the program like are amazing uh, performers in certain ways, but like you know, you you, you, you when you know, you know. Um, now I want to know why I'm what I'm the Rodrigo Garcia Plattis of. Balancing your biotype. Boom, baby. <laughs> yeah. Boom, baby. Um, and organizational matchmaking. Um, oh, that's a cool buzzword we should write down for something. But anyway. Boom, baby. I wound up d- d- creating my show, Stop Stopping the Unstoppable, which is like a hybrid parody of a Tony Robbins event slash Which, by the show. way, going to Fringe, I'm like, that's a perfect Fringe show. It is a perfect. I haven't and, even and seen it, but it is. It's exactly what the Fringe, most people great shows were like Based that. off of the name alone. And the and yep. my poster is now way better than my poster was. Like we could talk about the marketing all day, but anyway. So Zach was going to Adelaide, and he had a friend that dropped out of the Fringe Festival, and he said, "Ross, there's an open spot. You should take it." So I I leapt. Um, I mean, we can go into the whole life story. I'd just gotten a birthday card that was delivered late that says, like, if your dreams don't scare you, they aren't big enough. This was terrifying for me. I decided to go for it anyway. I wound up booking this ticket, paying $2,000 to, you know, put my show up in this, what I thought was a theater, turned out to be an old brothel um, in in Adelaide, Australia. And, um, I, you know, like the, the whole crew of these clowns, uh, were over there performing their shows, different shows than they were performing this time, but their their lives are essentially going from festival to festival around the world with these shows performing them. They're they're wow. they're now huge. I, I saw on your Instagram, like Stamptown was like everywhere. They had the biggest marketing. They, they're becoming very big at French. Yeah. Yeah. And so they're, so here's the funny thing. Stamptown, which is the name of Zach's um like company, essentially production, production company. company, is based on the name Atomp, which means stamp in French, which is the town that Philippe Gaulier's school is in. So the, oh. they're Stamp Town. And, uh, they, Zach was originally going to call it Fuck Town, and he changed it to Stamp Town. Yeah. Like, I think it was a good choice. I don't think you want Fuck Town everywhere on posters all over the festival. So, so I, I know a lot of these characters um, that have been doing these fringes for years, and I'm sure this was probably the first one since COVID, so this must have been just yeah, like this an was explosion. This a big one and Stamptown, the Stamptown shows were crazy. I, I mean, dude, Rodrigo, the things that happen at some of these shows, you think Natalie Palomita's this show was crazy? Doesn't even hold a candle. The no. shit I saw, the body wow. parts and the things that happened with them at these shows were... I I told I, Brian, I said, get ready to see a God. lot of butthole. Yeah, yeah. You all, I, I, need, yeah, yeah. I need three examples right now. I'll, I'll give you one. There's one... <laughs> I can't say this. <laughs> 
Stamp Town is a show where Zach, this guy Zach, plays this character named Jack Tucker, who's this like kind of terrible fucking New York comedian who's just like a piece of shit. And he's so bad. He's ridiculously bad. He hosts the show. It's so funny how bad he is. And every show he hosts a bunch <laughs> of acts. Nick and I did one one time. Often it's just clowns. The show is pure chaos. There are all these inside jokes that everyone knows. The final act one night, uh, trigger warning for people, was this woman named Tara, who's a clown. She put a popcorn machine on her head. She got naked. She doused her entire body in butter, right? Then as she like danced with hula hoops, popcorn sort of popping out of the thing. And then she, again, here we go. You want, you asked, she laid on the ground, put popcorn like on her vagina. Then Zach ate the popcorn out of her vagina as this other guy ate popcorn out of Zach's ass. That's how that show ended that night. So I'm telling you, like when I say it goes, clowning goes against God, I really mean it, it goes to some like yeah, deep, it's deep it's places. it's uh, <laughs> if sodomy was comedy, is kind of. <laughs> <laughs> was it the same uh, popcorn though, the one that he was uh, eating, and the one that was being eaten out of his ass? No, two different sets of popcorn. So it wasn't like oh, okay. he had one that he was. So yeah, I mean that it's was like just the, like, and that just happened in the moment. By the way, it wasn't that was a plan. That was just. It's not that fringy then. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wow, Rodrigo's Mr. French. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. But there was some there was some beautiful shows I saw. Some that were so moving. Some that were just insane. I mean, it was just like, and you're just seeing them till like 3 a.m. in the middle of the night, and you're like in these like underground bars with all these people, like you know, and we're all just like there for a month. So it almost feels like the real world is back there and you're here and it's, uh, it's great. Yeah. It's, I see why people get addicted to it. It's really, it's something special. Brian, we're so happy that you're here. Thank you. It's great to be back. It really does feel like I've been gone for so long from you guys. Yeah. Um, we had Janice hop on for an episode, which is great. Oh, good. Good, yeah. good, good. And for the perfect episode. For the perfect. By the way, that, I mean, I want to have him back as a guest. Yes. Um, oh yeah. I keep hearing. But yeah. Anyway, um, let's let's talk more about this fringe journey that that you went on. Um, sure. Yeah. What do you want to know? What should I What should I tell you? Well, um, what's interesting? I mean, what happens yeah. in the fringe comedy thing? Like, I I hear I hear you that the beginning is if you can get a space within the city limits and perform there, you're in. That's yes. your ticket uh, of admission. So there's a way to do it just on your own where you can find a space and then you, you're like in charge of everything. But there's also like big venues that can host you that can really help push you. And we mm. were part of like one of the big venues. So they, they had that. Then Zach and his team, like we were flyering all the time. There were posters of, of us everywhere. There was a lot of, we had like um, a yeah, whole PR team. Yeah, getting people into your show must be like hard when it was everybody's doing point. the same thing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. And we got lucky because ours sold out pretty quick. But yeah, I mean, some people have very bad fringe experiences where they go. Mm. No one's coming to see their show. No reviews are seeing it. They're halfway through. There's three people in the audience every night. They still have to do it till the end. Like, you know, mm. it can be very, very, it's already very exhausting. So if you have a festival or a fringe experience where nothing's really happening for you, that can be kind of tough. No, but um, here's the thing, because I had a little bit of this when I, when I did Adelaide. I had a show where I came out because, like, you know, backstage you're running this entire – I was running this entire thing by myself. I'm sure other people have teams and whatnot. But um, I just swallowed a bug, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's your next friend show. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll move, For real? I'll push through this. Yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll figure it out if it flies back or if I just move forward and never see it again. Um, We're so keeping this in the yeah, episode. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so I one time I, – I did my entrance. There were four p 
people in the audience. And at a certain mm-hmm. point, I I stopped and I I broke character and I said, "Do you uh, do you guys want to come back for a different show when there's like more people here?" And they kind of like looked at each other and they're like, "We don't really have." another time like this is all we have available and i said okay so i did the show for four people and on the other side of that was like for for some people that could that could sink you oh fucking only four people came to my show but i said i can do this for four people like like that like holy shit i can do this for anyone i've 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 done the show in stairwells i've done this show in a brothel so to me as a performer like when you go like okay i can do this at the lowest of lows the there's nothing that can hurt you when you come back to the states and it's a fucking open mic crowd you're like i did a fucking show for four people where i stripped down <laughs> to a leotard like i can do this did you just say I did this in a brothel? I did it in a brothel. Yeah, my my uh, my venue. <laughs> my sanguine like mind just got stuck there. Yeah, <laughs> I know. You, no one knows this side of me in this world um, because by the time we started the podcast, I, I I hadn't been performing for for two years. But no one that listens to Biotypical has seen Stop Stopping the Unstoppable and knows how off the rails that show goes. And when I say that, it's like, imagine if Tony Robbins had a mental breakdown in the middle of one of his seminars. I mean, like, a <laughs> mental fucking breakdown. Where, like, it, like that was the, the joy of the show, was it starts so big and so polished and just completely unravels. When are you doing it again? I've I want been, to see it. I know. I've, I've, been, I've just seen a short of like Zoom version of it in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, and and that wasn't that wasn't. I mean, again, another thing that's like, well, if you could do it on a Zoom call for forty yeah. people, like where <laughs> else can, can do you do anything. it? Anything. It's 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 marinating. It's yeah. definitely marinating. But and and hearing Brian talk about this is just like Brian would send me texts of like, you know, your your energy is wanted here. Like you would fit in so well here. And like. I, I FaceTime you during stamp. I town. loved it. I loved it. I, I, there's a part of me that just like loves that energy. And uh, I mean, we can talk about how, uh, and I think we have talked about how like our, our traumas kind of create our superpowers in a certain way, or at least the drive mm-hmm. to try and finesse definitely. a certain superpower. Oh, that's a full episode right there. Yeah. And, and I do think that the work that I've done kind of, have we, have we talked about um, uh, negative motivation versus positive motivation? I think we've like touched upon it, but we've never really taken a deep dive. Well, we've always mentioned that when Rodrigo works with Olympians uh, or athletes or high performers of anything, the first thing that he dives into is their motivation. A lot of the parents get mad because they're like, what the fuck yeah. are you doing? You're trying to talk my kid out of going to the Olympics? <laughs> and and um, to an extent, yeah. Like, you know, we have to uncover what the motivation is because if you do something with a negative motivation, is it actually healthy? I know you think you're achieving greatness, but are you actually doing something that's serving you in the long run is the question that I now believe people get to be asked. But yeah. I, yeah. yes, I'll, let me I was gonna say, this, I mean, it's a great this thought yeah, real quick, it. because what I realized when I was doing my show, all of the acting, all of the performing, and, and I didn't realize this until after I did MITT. But that drive went away, which the, mm. the only thing I can, I can equate that to is, was this coming from trauma? If oh, because after I, I healed so much in my life, the drive goes away or the, the energy around it goes away, um, where was this coming from in the first place? So uh, there's going to be a time, and this is going to happen soon, 
because the, it calls me in my soul. And we've, we've, Rodrigo and I have talked about this. We're like, I still have this feeling in my heart, my being, my joy. I love performing. I love making people laugh. So here, here's my hope, and, and we'll see how this plays out, listeners, is that mm-hmm. I get to reapproach this with a new energy, not from I need to get something from this to heal my trauma, but I get to give something from this because it's a gift that I enjoy giving to others. And that's more of a positive motivation to do this work rather than I need this audience <coughs> to see me. Are you high-fiving me or you have something to say? I'm oh. high-fiving you and I have something to say too. Okay. <laughs> no, what I wanted to say is I've, I've felt that in, in myself. And I think I became a trainer and I went into psychology because of all of my trauma and because of all of my experience, I had a very negative motivation. And the negative motivation put me on the map and made me important within the coaching world and blah, blah, blah. But I was still suffering. And up until my, up and up, up, yeah, up until the point that my spine gave in and, and my spine exploded. Uh, and I went through the coma and it, it was a journey of a couple of years in recovering my health and getting back on my feet. When I finally came back to work, like in full capacity, the, the way I always did, something shifted. I was still doing the same job, but people kept asking me, like, what did you do? Something is absolutely different about the way you train people and the way you work with human beings. And it took me a while, but but the answer is exactly what Ross is describing, which is, I was not getting in my own way. For the first time, I was not getting in my own way. Because it's not that the tools that you can create through a negative motivation uh, are terrible. It's the negative motivation itself pushing constantly. You might become the best musician in history through a negative motivation. And the skill is real. But the psychological like uh, consequences and collateral damage is, is mind-blowing. So when you actually remove the negative motivation, yes, you don't have that crazy inhuman push and drive to make things happen, but you can become so masterful at what you do because then you're playing with the tools that you perfected for years without needing to prove a point. I don't know if that makes sense. I think it would be so fucking cool to invent a time machine for many reasons, but to do, (laughs) to go to Edinburgh and literally like, See if we can like discern if the motivation of the performer is from a positive or negative place. Oh God! Come on! I will say this. I think what I like about the French festivals, obviously, well, I have a few things to say. One is I'm starting to think like I wonder if the way in which you're attracted to your passion, the way we're talking about, is sort of like how we talk about being attracted to a person, where you need to have a little bit of poison. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know how you say that? Yes. It's like everyone wants to get rid of their whole negative motivation for everything they do. You can't. But like you want to just a manageable amount, I feel like, of that negative motivation. If it's too much, yeah, you're, then you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. It's going to destroy you. But you got to have a little bit of it because then it's like Can you know, I, it keeps that thing it's going. It's so funny because that's exactly – I was talking to to a friend of mine and I was, I was really kind of sad about this realization that I dedicated 30 years of my life what felt like to chasing something that might have been based in trauma. And they were like, do it anyway. They were like, like, like I'm a, I'm a teacher because of my trauma. Like I, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I do my thing, but I, it, I, I doesn't stop me from loving what I do or being able to give through this in, in a positive way. 
In fact, I think it's maybe one of the, and Rodrigo, you can speak to this, one of the maybe negative things that can happen to you if you get too into therapy and self-development is you want to clean away everything. And you get like very self-deprecating like if you're like doing anything for the wrong reason or if your trauma showing up at all. And there's a point where you have to kind of accept like, I'm a human being. Some of this shit's just going to stay with me forever. I'll do the best I can. Whatever. I do some things for the wrong reason sometimes. I eat some food for the wrong time. What I, I have to kind of just accept that part of myself sometimes. And I feel like sometimes if you get too into the idea of like, I have to perfect myself through all this, you know, if you get really down that rabbit hole, you can really start judging yourself for all the, the little things. You'll never, you'll never sweep away. Does that I make mean, sense? It's an, it makes total sense. And it's a very melancholic concern. Uh, I, don't, I don't feel like most of us are present enough with all the concepts as, as to experience that. But there is one thing that applies to all of us that I think is absolutely true, which is growth and avoidance can look very similar. Hmm. And, and, and at the same time, growth and judgment can look very similar. And people get, like trip with those stones constantly. It's what we talk about when we say, uh, I'm going to tie up like old concepts and new ones because what... Oh, I'm, I'm so happy that the three of us are together. I'm enjoying this conversation <laughs> so much. I love you guys. Um, <laughs> but um, I got so excited with that concept that I lost my train of thought. Growth, yeah. Tripping on stones. What'd you say? Uh, you uh, you said growth, and, growth, and, and, growth, avoidance yeah, growth and avoidance look the same sometimes. Perfect. Yes. Remember, remember when we talk about Dr. Don Beck and spiral dynamics. And, and remember how we talk about the first third of... of, of uh, awareness levels and evolution in awareness, um, consciousness. Um, one of the things that we encounter is that when people get to the high part of the first third, which is usually color yellow, they feel like they got it, but they fight everything that's different from that. And I always give people the example of how they fight other human beings. Like when they say, I got it about life. It's all about love and caring and giving. And if you don't agree with me, fuck you and I will destroy you. What we rarely talk about, and Brian just opened this up, is that they do that to themselves too. Not only do they judge other people for having ideas and ways of being that according to them are not evolved, but they start judging themselves too. So it's, we're talking about the psychological, rational, emotional connection, racional emotivo, as we call it therapeutically in Spanish, and how my rationality will try to control my emotions. And this is why so many people that think that they're evolved, they're actually unemotional. And they think that seeing life as a neutral event means having no emotion and no reaction towards anything and that that's evolution. And that is a problem 100% because you might fall into like judging yourself or avoidance altogether. Mm. Uh, and it's like that one guy that when I came to the States for the first time to do a training, I remember this surfer guy that arrived late uh, on day two of basic and, and I started processing him and all of his answers, I was talking about time and his word of honor and integrity. And all of his answers were, dude, I get you. I get your come from, but I just don't live through those conventions anymore. Like my, my only structure is the waves. And like your time frame thing that's putting me in a box, that's uncomfortable. Yeah, that's when growth becomes avoidance. And if I remove the limit of what my dad used to tell me that I used to be and it felt amazing, then I just need to remove every structure away from me. And therefore, I'll be evolved and I'll be an amazing human being. So 100%, Brian, you're right. Mm. Damn, that's <laughs> profound. 
One also thing I was going to say about um, what I loved about Fringe is I'm sure there are a lot of people following their passions for negative reasons there. But I feel like it's different than being in L.A. Because I feel like in L.A. I can see it. I, you know, you see a lot of people who are there and you're, it's very clear they've, they've been told, you're, you're very pretty. You should go to L.A. You're very handsome. You should maybe be an actor. Okay, I don't really want to, but they're there. Or people who are like really trying to prove themselves. They're not really that talented or they don't work that hard, but they just want to look good. And you can just like see that in LA in a lot of places. And you know, that comes from them trying to prove something from some trauma. That's pretty deep with the fringe. At least it weeds out those people because you have to give a fuck about what you're doing to want to lose money, to perform it 25 days straight at this in a fucking tiny theater somewhere in another country. I mean, that's you're like an insane person who like really wants to sweat and bleed and hit the boards. And like that makes me feel like there are more people who are doing it because of the love of the craft. I might be wrong, but it definitely has a different st- type of person than the people that you have to kind of be able to cut it a little bit to, to even go and attempt it, which I, I like and, being around those people. And what you're describing is just I don't think um – attractive enough for someone who's doing this for the wrong reasons. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think most people would be willing to pay the price of doing everything that you just described. If what they're right. looking for is validation, because right. when, when we're doing something negatively, like through a negative motivation, what we're thinking of, and, and this is where I wanted to tie it up with what you said too. What we're thinking of is that becoming successful, renowned, acknowledged, and, and like, socially accepted as someone amazing at doing this is exactly what will remove the suffering and the pain from the trauma that my ego is telling me. If you were this, if you were that successful, if you were like that guy, if you were like that girl, you would finally feel like you're complete. So here's where you're right about another thing that you mentioned before, which is, yes, we do need a little bit of the poison. We do need like the same thing. The the reason I became so good at understanding traumatic compatibility with human beings is not because I've worked with so many relationships, which I have, but the truth is that I translated into relationships what I realized about people and their professions, what I realized about people and their choices. Like we've mentioned this in the past, if you think that people are, are evil, you're going to be attracted to career paths in which um, you you get to validate it. But if I think that people are dangerous and if I feel like people are like liars you would think that the obvious the the obvious way of being right about it would be becoming a hermit and moving into the mountains and never talking to another human being again but that's not the type of validation that your ego needs your ego needs to feel like you're fighting against it and you're becoming like important and fashionable and successful at fighting against it that's why they don't choose to be hermits they choose to be police officers or politicians we're all just trying to create the world we wish we were born into I mean, you see that so clearly with your social justice warrior friends on yes. either side, by the way. Every yes. single thing they want to talk about or post about is some evil thing from the other direction. Even though there's a yes. billion other things going on in the world, that is the only things that like mean anything to that to them, which is and we all have our versions of it, but that's just like a very specific, like visible one that we all see. There are two people that you are with that I truly believe do this for the right reasons. Let me guess. Okay. Vigo. Yes, he is one. Yes, correct. Can you guess? Josh? I, I don't know Josh well enough to say. Josh, I've, his story is amazing. Yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah, I think Josh. Who? I, uh, Johnny Woolley. 
<laughs> I love Johnny. So Johnny, uh, this is like so inside baseball, but Vigo is, is Norwegian. He's from Norway, and he's just the kindest, most like graceful, genuine. Gullier man. called him a once in a generation clown. Truly, truly, truly. Yeah, you, the real? things he does, the things he does on stage, just at the drop of a hat, are incredible. Nick and I like couldn't believe his like clown improv brain. It's really wow. He's beautiful. Yeah, he's clown. Beautiful is is the absolute right word. Johnny is, he is no, he's phlegmatic. Oh, fire. we should. That's what we think. Fire. He's tall and skinny, mm-hmm. but he's. I think we looked at him. One we time. looked at him because Zach's absolutely melancholic, and Vigo is is he he's very skinny, but he's he's phlegmatic. The way he operates. oh, are they that comedy duo that we analyzed yes. one point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And their director, who's also the most incredible graphic designer when it comes to posters. Yes. Um, Johnny Woolley is this kind of curmudgeonly. Uh, choleric, who has like a, a, a like like a very cherubic face, but his attitude like he's a <laughs> is he still a chain smoker? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. just like like smokes like a chimney, but is uh, like he's got a brilliance to him for sure. Like he he he's kind of the structure. Oh, the stuff he does behind the board with Jack Tucker, all the sound effects, amazing. unbelievable. I can't I can't even. I was like, he is the star of the show. I mean, Zach is the star of the show. So Zach has this character Zach Jack Tucker the bad uh, stand-up that we're talking about and there's a million sound effects and whenever Zach says New York something has to happen whenever he mentions this something has to happen and this and Zach always does these like movements with the sound and it looks impossible and it's Johnny with the keyboard his 10 fingers on 10 different keys each finger like presses something and does a different noise and there's another set of keys below him that and he's constantly just sort of like playing with the sounds coming out of the speakers but he is so on point and so sharp with it that it looks almost impossible it really is like a feat of magic. Wow. It's the best tech I've ever seen yeah. in a show. He is the best tech, and like he is like the the king of the support system when it comes That's to uh, uh, like th- this type of comedy. He he blows my mind, and he's so he's so humble about it. Um, and and yeah. Johnny went to went to Gaulier. Johnny went to this clown school, but you'll you'll rarely if ever see him on stage. But the one time that he was, I wish I saw it, but he got these rave reviews for playing Jeff Bezos. And I <clears throat> apparently he's an amazing actor is what I, hear. I I believe it. I thoroughly believe it. Actually, they did like a little video thing and I, I messaged Johnny and I said like we got to get you in front of the camera more, man. Like he's just he's he, I, I we should get we should do an episode with the Stamptown crew. Like to get Johnny, Zach, and and that would be amazing. And because we okay, but wait, yeah, like I really want to understand how the Fringe Festival works. So everybody starts presenting at the same time every night. Yes, every night, every day, and every night. So then, because there are so many like things, you kind of start getting a sense of what shows are big just through buzz. Like that's also what I love about it. It's like, because there's so many shows, you can't really look online and figure out what the, there's so many reviews and just flyers everywhere. That's hard to kind of know what to go see. So you kind of have to listen and like the buzz kind of naturally creates what the festival is. And there are often are big shows. Everyone knows they're going to do well. Sometimes there's like our buddy, John Norris, who's an amazing clown in LA had this midnight show called Mr. Chonkers that he did part of free fringe. He just wanted to go out there and try it. And it became like, there's always like one like free friend show that becomes like the show, the festival and it became it. And it's, he like sold out by the end. And it was so cool to watch like this, like little engine that could story. 
but yeah, everyone just sort of starts doing it. And, you know, we had a big team behind us. So we had posters and flyers and PR. And then you, they get reviewers to come in. And if you get a big reviewer, that gives you four or five stars. That gives you a big push. And then, you know, people, industry come in and, you know, people come to see us. The craziest one was we tweeted at Edgar Wright, who's like one of my favorite directors. He directed, he directed Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, Baby Driver, Last Night in Soho, uh, The World's End. And he's like a big, his style of filmmaking is pretty much what Britannic is ripped off of. And I tweeted at him. I saw he was at the Fringe. I was like, you want to come to our show? We'll give you a ticket. And he was like, okay. And he came and what? he loved it. And he sat front and center and laughed so hard. He sent his agent to our show in London last night, who was so wow. cool. But like, that was like, a, that was such a Fringe experience. Like, how did I just tweet at my favorite director? And then he was like, four hours later, I've been like, telling right you this for years, Brian, that all you need to do is ask and more people know about you than you even that think. That was definitely a moment of like, I cannot believe I was rewarded for asking on Twitter. Like, that was so crazy. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just the kind of thing. And then people will come see, you'll go see everyone else's shows and you kind of start making friends with, with people who have, you know, are doing this at the same level you are. Or sometimes people you've looked up to for a long time and who, who, that's just like, great. What and were then, some shows that you saw that like, g- give us a breakdown of like, oh, wow. My favorite, I mean, there's a, oh my God, Randy Feltface. Do you know Randy? I, I know of Randy. I don't know. Oh my God. Randy felt you can just watch this shit on YouTube. He's an Australian comedian who has a puppet named Randy Feltface and he does stand up as this puppet and it's the best puppeting puppeteering and the best stand-up i've like ever seen like it's such a singular talent no yeah there's Randy. that's is this randy. the guy he is he's clear no that's not him that's not him no okay. no that's not him um but randy is so fucking funny like just watch his youtube videos he is his crowd work is amazing his stand-up is incredible like and the guy behind him is so humble he just doesn't want to be seen but he's such <laughs> a like this is the only way he can do none of these photos are the guy okay so randy i loved um there's a female um a uh, comedy duo called Flo and Joan that I think are incredible. They're very much like, um, there they are. They, their style of music, they're very British and dry, but they're so Is this a melancholic har- and a sanguine or a phlegmatic and a sanguine, Ro? Let's see. We probably I'm need not to sure see until it. I see one of her stand, standing up, but it, it definitely looks like a melancholic and a phlegmatic, but she could be sanguine. This one? I've been wondering too. Is, is there a picture? Like, I mean, her arms look short. Here. She could be sanguine. That looks sanguine. Those shoulders, those arms. They're amazing. And they're like very much in the style of Tim Minchin or Bo Burnham. Like I love like their, their music, but they're so, I think they're just like so funny. They're kind of big in the UK, but not at all over here. But I, I love their show. I mean, there's, so, there's a guy named Sam Campbell who won the festival. I, oh God, it was the funniest. Wait, how do you win the festival? <laughs> well, there's two prizes. There's best newcomers. Sam Campbell's that guy. Yeah. yeah oh, I, he He's, did a TED talk that was hysterical. Dude, he is so his. I, everyone could not believe he won. I mean, like I, we could because it was so funny. But there were some other shows that were like important and like tearjerkery, and Sam's was just crazy. <laughs> and then um, this girl named Emily Wilson, who was part of our group, she had a show called Fixed that was beautiful. She basically went on the X Factor when she was 16 years old and got pretty humiliated publicly. And so this is her. She's 26 now. She has a show. It's a musical comedy show where she looks back at it and kind of like it's it's very much like what we do, where it's all about like 
figuring out what this moment was in her life, how she framed it when it happened, how it destroyed her life as a teenager, how like, and now how she's reframing it now to like understand how it created, like made her who she is. It's really wow. beautiful. Um, and it's so funny too. That sounds um, amazing. By the way, that poster. I mean, Josh Glantz's show is so funny. That poster yeah. is uh, not this one, but the one that said fixed on it. That's a Johnny Woolley original. I, I put money. So is the Britannic poster. It is? Yeah. It's good. All these posters. But anyway, this is this is a um, prop version of it, but he's so good. And Jordan Gray, she's incredible. She's a transgender comedian, very much like a very Russell Brand kind of energy. And she was, everyone thought she was going to win the festival, but she was right after us at the box. And I just like, her show is so, it really helped me understand like trans uh, concepts better than I, because I was still sort of like trying to like, you know, understand exactly how I like felt or understood about the whole thing. And she just like kind of made it in this comedy show that was so giving and so like self-deprecating, but also uh, informative and entertaining. And she's such a great, a lot of great musical comedy I saw. I want to find but, yeah, that, that show poster. Like one, that poster won an award as well. Here. Yeah, one best award. There it yeah. is. Yeah. Look at this, Ro. Oh yeah, that's my a, that's God. A yeah. That was posted all over Edinburgh. <laughs> Yeah, that, that was everywhere. Crazy. For the listening audience, uh, uh, if you Google Jordan Gray, is it a bird? You can see what we're talking about. But it's it's this woman with a red cape and her arms spread. She's leaping in the air and and like her her bow tie is somehow covering her nipples. And right over her crotch is a microphone covering the genitals. Um, which, because she's wearing a red cape and nothing else. And nothing else. F- fully yeah, which in- also, if you see the show, makes it's all about superheroes and your inner identity and all these, these things. But um, that was a beautiful show, too. I mean, there's, they really run the gamut. Like, they're really... Okay, so the everything. way it works is you get a venue. You start performing. <laughs> set, I, I really want to get it. You start performing yeah. at the same time of, of every other show. And then, of course... Some of the shows, I guess, just run out of people and stop being performed. No, you perform every night. Yeah, even if there's no one comes, you still perform. Like, holy, fuck. not not if no one yeah, you comes, perform- you just wouldn't go on that night. But I guess you wouldn't. But I, I yeah. feel like most shows, hopefully, gets. I mean, there's some people that do really struggle. I mean, there's some, but there's so many people who descend on the festival that it's just like it's. I mean, yeah. it's. I think I've said this before. The most tickets sold for anything in the world is the Olympics. Number two is the World Cup. Number three is the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So it's wow. like it's the difference it's is the prices big. of the tickets. Yes. Yes, there's a big difference. Yes, <laughs> but there's another component it's $10 too. Because, Britannic, so, so Brian, tell us about your venue. My venue was a box on the street. It was this big shipping what? container that they turned into a theater, and it's this cool little theater. Do you know Tom Walker? Yes. Ross, yeah. Tom is right after us. I we became you, really close so Tom to Tom. Walker has an Amazon special that I highly recommend. Yes. And, and I watched it with Brian. It made him sad. Do you remember that? No, we watched only a little bit, though. I, well, you, we didn't watch the whole thing. I, 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 I've watched the whole thing multiple times. I don't know if you and I watched the whole oh. thing together. But, but what was, yeah. shoot, well, I forget what his Amazon special is called. But, well, I think I was just jealous. Yes, that's what I meant. Like It made you sad because you were like, why, you were like I, I want to do this so badly I can't watch I this. forgot that that happened. Yeah. Well, now he's like one of our close friends. I mean, he's performing after us tonight at the Soho Theater. And we, were, we love that guy so he's much. Amazing. He's insane. Yeah. Uh, but he's like a mime clown comedian. Is this where you perform? Uh, let's see here. Do you see container? Just call it, look at the box assembly Edinburgh. 
Yeah. And so it's this box that's like kind of a crazy little, like, you know, 74 seat theater, but it's like kind of a cult theater venue at the place that a lot of like apparently great shows from. That's the inside of it. That's where we were every fucking night. That hot box would fucking leak when it rained. Like it was, it was intense. How many seats? Uh, 74. 74. And, uh, Every because they were like go small and sell out instead of trying to go a rookie move is going too big and then not filling up your theater so we we're like because yeah. we had no idea how Scotland would if they would know us if they would like us anything so we just had to kind of we, someone had a seizure in the middle of the show uh, our ninth night yeah at ten minutes into the show it was crazy we had to stop the show and like bring in people and then she got okay and then she had to leave and then we had to like come back from that and keep doing a comedy show like you know there's wow. it's like. It was really intense a lot of the nights. That sounds like my um, job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You learn to get, I'll tell you this, uh, as a performer, you probably felt this, Ross, you learn to get kind of Buddhist about performing because 25 nights, you're going to have some good shows, some bad shows, some audience is going to be crazy, some are going to be pretty quiet. And instead of trying to figure it out and why this didn't work and what the fuck, why that not happen, you kind of just have to let go of each show. After are, you, are you ready like, that for the phlegmatic approach to this? Oh, God. What? <laughs> it's about the community. It's about the oh. people around you. It's about that you've got this group of people that know exactly what it's like. And some days your show is great and theirs sucks. And some days your show sucks and theirs is great. And I think I've said this before about like getting into stand-up, but I really think it could be applied to getting into anything, which is find your community that's at your level and going through it with you. Because whether it was a good show or a bad show, it became a positive, a net positive experience because of the people around me that were like, we get it, we're there. And the learning f didn't feel as hard. That's beautiful. Like, this is so funny. I've always thought that the content of my job is closer to, like the content is closer to, the, to academia, but the actual performance of my job, getting on stage and, and like having hundreds of people or some, sometimes tens of people like lately that yeah. we're coming back to in-person trainings. And it feels closer to being a performer. It feels closer to being a stand-up comedian. And, and mm. I, I am not surprised that I'm in a podcast with you guys. Like, my experience is way closer to your guys' experience in life. Well, you're a clown. Um, <laughs> you're a total clown, my friend. I don't think I am. You don't know yet. But, but within, within, like, therapy, psychology, and coaching, I think I'm the clown. That's, like, Holy that's how they see me. If we put Rodrigo in a clown class, that would be fascinating. Well, I wasn't in stand-up comedy class different. and they kicked me it's out. It's different. Clown is <laughs> absolutely different. Could you, did you meet Phil Burgers? Did you meet Dr. Brown? Oh, yeah. I know Phil. I'm thinking about – he has a class this Friday that I might take. I, I, God, if we fly time. Rodrigo – oh, he has, a, he has a, a, a workshop this weekend. But I want – if we could find a way to get Rodrigo into a Phil Burgers class – it would be rip them apart. fascinating. Well, I think Rodrigo <laughs> would have a complete because what here here's my observation of Rodrigo. Rodrigo goes through life, encounters life just the way that everyone else does, but then like marinates on it and watches his own mind and his own experience and then takes away these things of here's what I was doing and here's what I'm finding. So it doesn't necessarily land in the moment, but and we, we talked about this with your peyote thing about like how it's still, you 100%. know, 100% clown is peyote. Clown is exactly you peyote. Know, Holy shit. <laughs> it's, it's based off of our, our last episode where, where we were talking about how peyote is like the grandfather that's like not going to tell you what to do, but going to tell like sit you in front of something until you figure it out for yourself. 
That is clown. Holy shit. That is clown school. But instead of a you know, thing, it's an audience. Yeah. And if they're not reacting, it's on you to fucking figure out what it is about you that they will like and lean into I was having I was having this conversation with Danny last night. Like I was literally telling her, baby, just give me time. Like it takes, you know, that it takes me a while, but I'll get there. Like, don't, don't tell me where my mind needs to go. Just let it, let it run. It's, it's course a little bit. I even noticed, I talked to Ross about this yesterday. I even noticed Brian, because you weren't here for the last episode where I went off in my peyote experience um, that I had like three weeks ago. Oh, wow. And it was crazy. Um, <laughs> but I realized that my mind was getting in the way of the actual message and that my, how I, oh, yeah. how I, um, try to go like unfold and, and try to have a, how, how do you explain that? Like go into the witness. We would yeah, say the observer. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like when I try to go into the observer or, or the witness, I start like building the concept of what's happening because that's, that's what I do. I take life and translate it for everyone, everyone and every biotype to understand it. And as I started going there, I was trying to kind of put my own messages on things that that Peyote wasn't ready for me to understand and my mind was getting in the way. So I let go of the concepts and I'm just arriving deeper and deeper into the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, that's beautiful. It's funny because uh, I would say like for stand-up, I think the the natural best Stand, not the best stand-ups. Anyone can be the best stand-up. But I think uh, melancholics and cholerics really work well for stand-up because it's very thinky or very forceful the way you explain things. I think sanguines are the best clowns if you can get out of your analyzer. Exactly. I think that's what you'd have to do because it's like sanguines naturally are clowns. Like that is kind of – you guys have this thing that I'm just so jealous of when I watch great clowns where you can just – it's so external. It's so in the present moment. It's so about just like moving with your – you know, your – your gut and your, you know, your heart. Um, that's, you know, it would be awesome to watch you do it. I can't tell you a clown that I know that's sanguine. I know. And it's funny cause it's like, I, I know a few, but they're, they're, they're amazing when clowns are sanguine. Like, cause it just, it does feel like it's perfect for their biotech. Exactly. Like we should be all over the thing. But that, yeah. that's why I'm like, it's, you know, it's like when a melancholic is a novelist. It's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> But I'm trying. I'm going through most clowns. I I think I know are are phlegmatic or or false fires or something of the sort. Yeah, yeah. No, it's like in obviously not all stand-ups are melancholy. I mean, it's like yeah. everyone can do it. But you're right. It is weird, just because you would think. But I do know some, and they are excellent. But like, it yeah. really does. Yeah, oh pop yeah, Teresa. We sent we we I say we sent Teresa to go to clown school. No, um, uh, but Teresa. It's also like we just don't know many sanguines in general. I feel like I feel like I, like sanguines are not as big a part of my life. Yeah, just in my groups as uh, as other biotypes. Yeah, I don't know. I've noticed that as well. And if we went to Spain, if we went to clown school, if we'd see a lot of sanguine clowns. But part of me wonders if they live it so much, they don't need to do it in the way that these other biotypes might. Maybe other biotypes need to learn it because they're trying to learn the superpower. That's the clowns it. like I get. Yeah, sanguines are like I have this. What are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, <laughs> I feel like sanguines go through that shame as they're growing up, doing stupid things all the time. Like it's a common right. place for us. Char Charlie yeah. feels very clown to me. One of our patrons, Charlie, who we've, we've mentioned yeah. in the past, like like his style of humor is is very clown. Also, clown. What I love about clown because I've taken some classes and we had Jet Evelith on. She's an amazing clown, and taking her class is really fun. She did clown church because she like part of clown is learning how you present to the audience, which is kind of biotypes related. How do you 
look and what can you do on stage that will make people laugh? And so I remember being in Jet's class one time and this guy, who was kind of a bigger guy with this like silly face. He was doing this thing and Jet stopped and she was like, stop, stop. She pointed at him and she was like, dumb baby. That's you. You're a dumb baby. That is your thing. Write it. If you're a clown, you're a dumb baby clown. And he was. And it's one of those things where it's, he can do the dumb baby things. I can't. I don't really know what my clown is. I'm sort of starting to learn it. But we all have a natural clown based on how we present to the world or our biotypes. And uh, it's interesting to kind of learn that because it's a very humbling experience for a lot of people, but also very freeing once you figure it out because you can actually start, you know, working with your body and your soul correctly on stage. That's what I found worked with Dale Thorhammer when I was doing that. Yeah, that's like, very much well, I, the perfect phlegmatic trying to be strong character. That's, that's exactly what Rodrigo said. You know what's funny about this? Yeah. You're a weak man yeah. trying yeah. to be a strong man. And I mean, that's, you, you, were, you were very present with your clown, with your natural clown yeah. for that. I mean, like, mm. it, it, but it was one of those things where I was just like, they're, you know, to, to intellectualize it might make it kind of go away, but it's just like, for me, clown was like listening for the laugh and then just doing that thing again. And then kind of like hoping yeah. that it ingrains somehow. How do you win the Fringe Festival? <laughs> okay, so then <laughs> after, after a certain amount of time, after buzz happens and reviews, people, there's a reviewing company or this, the awards company start going to see shows. And you start getting like notifications like so-and-so from the awards is coming to your show. And the more people come, the more it means you're like being considered. There's oh. Best Newcomer and Best Show. Those are the two big awards. And we started, everyone was like, you're not going to win best show as a newcomer, but you might win best newcomer. And Nick and I were on the long list for best newcomer, which means there was only like 15 shows they were considering for best newcomer. And we were part of it. So we had like eight judges come on like the last night they could consider us, which was crazy. And uh, we were not nominated. There was like 10 people nominated, I think. Uh, but they only nominate one American per year. Our friend Emily Wilson, who did Fixed, got that. And they rarely nominate Sketch. It's almost always a singular voice, a stand-up. There's a best like Sketch a, a award I looked up. I went. I was like a there support. Is. Yeah, I was. I it's was, not the official award. No, of no, 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 not Edinburgh. the official award. Um, yeah. But um, but yeah. So you know, it was I. We did not win it or even were nominated for best newcomer but i still feel like we won the festival i feel like amazing about why 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 why? because we sold everything out which is really hard to do because the buzz was as good as it could be because after we weren't nominated the word on the street was that Britannic was robbed, which I almost like better than (laughs) when it's like i've always said this it's like story when, yeah. when like Leonardo DiCaprio won Best Actor for The Revenant, I was like, that sucks for him. It was so much better when yeah. everyone was like, Leo should win. Why isn't Leo winning? It's like that that keeps a motor going in people's head about yeah. you. So it's a victim story, it, baby. Yeah, people. I mean, if he gets story. president selected, um, yeah, right, exactly. Also, it's like I don't think it was right. I mean, I think Nick and I have a career, and we've been doing this for a little bit. I think it's better if a newcomer award goes to someone who's 22 and needs it and has never been yeah. seen before. I think it's more in the spirit of the festival. So, and know. what you want is for the word to be out there. Not like uh, you, I think we all come to a point in our careers where it's more about, I want more people to know about this. As we it's, say with biotypes, like we don't even care if we're at the center of the conversation, as long as people get this information and get in their lives. Yes. It's so true. The awards mean nothing. I've learned that a lot, a lot, through a long time of doing this. It means nothing. 
If yeah. the people love you, if you win with the public, you win. That's that's yeah. what matters completely. And it's felt because like that's, that's what, what the we prize had. is supposed to be about. Like to give right, you that. Exactly. If you can get it without even getting the award, you're doing something right. Yeah. So it's uh, it was I mean, it was great to watch. I mean, a lot of friends nominated. So it's fun to see them go through it. And uh, yeah. And then the festival's over two days later and then everyone goes home. Oh, and then at fucking sunrise. Uh, there's a thing called Arthur's Seat. It's this giant mountain that overlooks Edinburgh. And at sunrise after the last night, everyone climbs it. I almost didn't do it because I was so, everyone's just like drunk and on drugs probably. And then at like 5.30 a.m., you are climbing up this fucking mountain that's like six Griffith Park hikes up to the observatory. And you get there and you just like, it's sunrise and everyone's there, all these freaking clowns and people are going crazy. And you stay there till like 8 a.m. and you go home and you're like, your brain and body are just mush. And then you sleep until sunset and you're like, I gotta, how am I gonna get my sleep schedule back on track? So, like, that's very much like the last thing you do at the festival, which is, that it was is nice so once cool. I got up to the top of the mountain. It was very, you know, end of summer camp. And then why are you in London now? We're performing in London. We have four days at like London's coolest comedy theater called the Soho Theater. It's like we're, it's like my favorite theater here in London. It's right near the West End where all the big shows are. It's like right in the heart of like the coolest part of London. And uh, they gave us four nights and it sold out immediately. And I think they're going to give us another run in a few months. So we'll come back and do wow. it again. Wow. Let um, us know. Yeah. Maybe we can go I across. Yeah, Maybe Brian, Brian you, can pay you, for you, tickets. Well, <laughs> I think we're going to come do it in America a few times and film it at the Dynasty Typewriter is sort of our plan right now. Yeah, and then release absolutely. it for people to buy. Like, I think that's like uh, what we want to do with this show. It's what Louis C.K. has been doing with everything. And he's he's saying that he has never made more money in his life with a comedy special yeah. than just releasing it in his site. I don't think we're going to be selling a comedy. Uh, I don't think it's, anyone's buying sketch specials for Netflix or anything. So it's like, I think the best option for us is to do this on our own and just make it and put it out. And then we can move on for these. We've had these sketches for so long and it's nice to like film them, put them out and then figure out our next show for our next year, Fringe, because we've already been thinking about that. Do you feel like you're more polished? Yes. Oh I my mean, God. Like you, you must I've never felt this light. polished in my life. The show is so tight. It's like, a, I, we've never performed more than two nights in a row. Now we've performed 26 it's like, wow. I feel, I can do the show with my eyes closed. It is like such a, like if you see it again after what you saw, the Elysian Rots, it'll feel very different, I think. I can't wait. I'm coming to the, the taping of the Dynasty. Give us a date like, like six yeah. months in advance, please. All right, once yeah. I know. <laughs> I really want to be there. But yeah, no, it's been, it's been wonderful. It's been done, been great for our career, for my relationship with Nick, for yeah. just like feeling worth worthy you know as an artist really as anything in life you want to feel like you're always moving it's like a shark and once you stop moving you feel dead and like it just felt like we started moving again you really feel like you're moving and it's so nice to know that when as an artist also you're at the behest of so many other people whether you're auditioning or waiting for someone to give you money and just to know that we could do this on our own and we could just put this up and go and do it and big awesome things could come from it it's just like really revitalizing. It was, it's exactly what I, I, as I was doing, I was like, why didn't I do this before? Why do more artists not do this? Why don't we do this every yeah. year? It just feels like exactly the reason we got into this was to play. And you can forget to play sometimes when you're in LA and you're working so much, you can just get locked in the business of it. So it was a very, very playful month. Um, that do, you know, was, do you know how I see it? Like, I agree with everything you're saying about the movement, but I also see it as like emotional fuel. 
I feel mm. like Ross and I just went through that a little bit with our first Biotype live event. And yeah, how was that? It was, our, it was our small, like, beautiful right, right. thing that we created. It was so profound and people had such experiences. People are still talking about it. We're still receiving messages about it, which I love. And it gives us fuel to just keep going. Like, that. there, there goes another six months, you know? Yeah, it's so true. That fuel, like, because we've had so many, every single show... We've had people in London who have been fans of us for over 10 years come to see the show and like thank us for doing this or tell us like a lot of people have said things like you've gotten us through really hard times, which Mm. is so crazy for stupid sketch comedy to do for someone. But it has. And like having people say that a lot or having people be like, you guys like keep going, please. Like, I love this. I'll do I'll see anything you do. Like those words from real people over and over again. It fuels you. You can't not let it fuel you. You can forget about that when you, you know, just, I don't know, do stuff alone in your bedroom all the time and then put stuff out every once in you a while. You can easily it's, forget about it. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a. Uh, especially it after great. a pandemic. Yes. Especially yeah. after a pandemic. Man, it was also, I, I was so crazy because I was like, I was like, okay, we're, this is going to be a big experiment. Two weeks in, everyone's going to shut down because of COVID. Everyone's going to get it. We're going to cancel yeah. shows. I didn't fucking hear a peep. Nothing. No one's thought about, no one had masks. No one got it. 4,000. I was like, what the fuck? It was crazy. Like nothing, not nothing. And I was like, that felt really cool to not think about COVID at all for a month. Do you want to know who got it? Who? My wife and my kid. No. Are they okay? For the first time. Yeah, they're okay. They're at home. Uh, They came to LA last week and we have no idea where they fucking get it. I know. Well, that's where I got it too. But we have no idea where she got it because the rest of the party that we were with, like coming, going back and forth everywhere, no one got it. Wow. It's a wily virus, that thing. Yes, well, it is. I'm ready. To, I'm ready for it to become an, uh, like the common flu. Yes, uh, me too. It's almost there. We're almost it does there. feel like we're very, very close. Anyway, more questions about Fringe, anyone? Uh. <laughs> we are so proud of you, Brian. We really are. Well, thank and, you. And I can I, attest to the fact that Ross has been pushing in this direction a lot for you to have a little bit of this experience. Yes, you really have, Ross. Thank you for being a motivating factor and doing this and telling me that I should. And, you know, maybe you subconsciously uh, were part of the reason why I reached out to Edgar Wright and stuff because you've been telling me to, you know, just ask more of people and stuff. So I, uh, that I appreciate that. That would be incredible. And that was my influence on in Ross because I'm his partner. So it's me. So I guess, thanks, bro. <laughs> Ross, get out of here. Hey, hey, hey. I'll buy you a drink in Madrid, bro. All right, great. <laughs> How is this about me? <laughs> yeah. Um. I yeah. No. I'm. I'm. I'm like. I've been living vicariously through you through like Instagram stories and all this stuff. Just like really seeing it. You know what's been really interesting for me is. Um, I think earlier in my career, I was always very jealous of certain people's success. Um. And you know what, if I think about it, I probably still am. There are certain people who I see like they're doing successful things and like, you know, just the the most honest truth is that I go, fuck that guy. It's not the case with you, Brian. Like I was was finding true joy within myself based off of your success and what you were going through and just really thinking about this moment in your life and when you'd message me and say, I think this is happening and and like I'd see Edgar Wright coming, I was just like, it was like really truly joy at what's going on in your life, which, you know, to to turn this back on myself was like (laughs) a really cool feeling to have, which was like, oh shit, like this is like true selflessness of of like being proud of, of someone and 
Like it has, it has nothing to do with me. Like your, your success, you could take off to get so big where you can't do the podcast anymore. But I think I'd just be like, fuck yeah, Brian. And I think like from the moment you and I met, I think one of the first things out of my mouth that I said to you is like, you should be bigger. Um, and, and I feel like you're, you're really doing the things that like that all will be right in the world. Like the order of, of things in the world will be restored once you have this platform to perform and give to as many people as possibly can receive what you have to give. So thank you, man. It, it means just, a lot. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's great. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, so I'm happy to just be doing fringes this. the rest of my life. So if it never goes past that, I'm fringes fine. or Eagles are turning people into horses too, or, <laughs> you know, you know, however, however it turns out. And, and Rodrigo, I don't think you've ever seen the Britannic comedy pilot, the comedy central pilot, but nope. In a world full of garbage, um, a baby got thrown out with the bathwater, and and that baby is the Britannic wow. pilot. It is it is so funny, and the the things that you told me of where it was going to go, um, it's a true testament to. Uh, it doesn't matter how much talent you have in this industry. There's a, a fair amount of luck that needs to. come No, I wouldn't mind putting that up behind the patron. The the pilot. Yeah. Was Comedy Central going to wow. sue me? Wow. Let's please do that. Oh my gosh. Okay. So patrons, what level do you want to give it to all the patrons to the $10 level, the $20 level? Where do you want to Just give it to the host? Just to <laughs> 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 Um, I don't know. You guys can figure that out. Whatever. Okay. All right. So, so I mean, how many people do you want to see it? I don't the know. Most amount of people. At one possibly? point we might put it online. I don't know. We've been talking about it, but Nick doesn't really want to. But I don't know. What do you, I, Either way, we'll figure yeah, it out after if you, this. If you go to if you go to patreon.com slash RGP development, Rodrigo's um, little buddies. Now, Rodrigo's little buddies. <laughs> you will find a link uh, to watch the Britannic pilot. That is so cool. Okay, Brian, I want to talk to you about something. This is actually Ross's idea, but I think it's a perfect moment okay. to talk about it for a minute. What okay. if we did some sort of biotypical experience where people would have a, maybe a little bit of Dale Thorhammer, maybe a little bit of, <laughs> of, of Marble's Britannic experience and a little bit of biotypes. What does that look like? I have no I idea. I already have it planned out and I already have the date. Um, <laughs> are you, are you, are you back in October? I should End be. I'll probably October, be in New York but, for a moment, but um, okay. yeah, I mean, I'm back mid September ish. Back and forth, great. In New York and LA. So, so we're we're aiming for, and this is for the listening audience to know as well. The end of October, it'll be before Halloween. Um, it'll be on a weekend. It'll be on a Saturday. Um, so, if you guys want to start guessing dates, feel free. But I am but we're, so we're, nervous. We're <laughs> locking it in, but um, <laughs> we are putting together something that if, if I were if I were the people, I'd plan to do the whole day, even though you can just do parts of it. But I think that what we'll be doing is breaking. I, what, what I want to do is I want to rent out a theater for the essentially the full day, and then have different events, and people can get either the the, the full like I'm just going to be here for every single part of this, or they can kind of pick and choose whichever parts they want to come to. That's so, so I'm excited, right? Okay, It'd be very well, fun. I don't know what it is still. Yeah, well, the idea is that it would be like a little bit of performances, and then the recording of the biotypical episode, okay, um, with a live audience. Um, and then a component of it that would as well be a, a bit of our biotypes live experience that we created uh, previously. So it would be part performance, part podcast, part workshop. 
so you could you can come and just do like a, a full day of of whatever we're we're putting together this this hodgepodge of everything that we are. Um, or if you're like, you know what, I don't have enough time. I just want to come do the workshop, or I just want to come to the live recording. Only if uh, we can, can see Dale Thor. <laughs> I, I would I would be willing to bring back Dale. Uh, that would be cool. Wow. I like Dale. Yeah, yeah. And I like Dale what he I, wrote on the yeah. book that he gave me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, know, do you know what Dale Thorhammer wrote on the book? How, how do you call that? I have the no Dicatoria? idea. The, 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 um, not the inscription, but the, um, I don't know, dedication. It, what, what do you call it? The dedicola? The dedicatoria. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. If I actually have it here because I travel with it. <laughs> <laughs> and it says, listen to this, Brian. It says, to Rodrigo. There's only enough room for one of our egos, so I'm glad that you're keeping yours in check. L live that's, powerfully, Dale Thorhammer. That's beautiful. <laughs> that's beautiful. As Dale, I'll say Dale has written, because I don't want to take accountability for this, Dale has written some pretty mean things to some people. <laughs> um, <laughs> but we got to find that Dale. I what mean, a bitch. I know. Well, you know what it is? is I, I learned this from Colbert because um, – Colbert, like when he would be in character versus out of character was, was so different. And one thing he said, he goes like, it's satire. Like, you can't be mad at me. It's satire. Right, right. And with Dale, I think I use that veil to, I can, it's why I can't do the show as Ross. Doing it as Ross, I was two yeah. in my head, two in my own yeah, identity. Of course. Doing it as Dale, I could say whatever the fuck I wanted in the moment, however I wanted, because... Dale is shameless and it's all under the guise of, of satire and it's a comedy show. It's the brilliance also of Randy Feltface. This Heath, the guy who does yeah. the puppet, he can say crazy shit. You can't get mad at a puppet. It's a puppet. You feel insane. <laughs> so mad at that puppet. What are you talking about? Puppeteers kind of do that all the time. There's like, do yeah. you remember this guy, Jeff Dunham? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, of course. He was amazing and he seemed like the sweetest guy, but he's fucking characters. Or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, he's triumph like, the insult comic dog. Racist. Oh God, I love um, Robert Smigel, who's, yeah. who's the, the the hand behind Triathlon's insult comic dog. But yeah, it's it's you know what it is. I think it's a vehicle for people with hard opinions but don't like confrontation to uh, <laughs> to get that stuff out there. Yeah, it's a beautiful beautiful art form to necessitate their trauma into the world. Yeah. So, how many more performances do you have? Three more uh, tonight, in, tomorrow, and then Saturday. And, and then after that, you're just off to roam around Europe a little bit? I'm going to stick in London for a few days, and then I have some questions for Rodrigo about that off air because it involves something I, I, I think then, we'll end the podcast a little early so okay. you can ask those questions. Do you and mind with the, that these patrons stay there for it, or should we should we kick mm, them out for these questions? Not well? really. I, we'll I mean, all right, we'll kick them out. <laughs> I mean, all we'll right. talk a little bit with the all patrons right. here. <laughs> no, no, no. Straight out of Brian's mouth, fuck you guys. We'll see you later. <laughs> no, no, um, no. You're not welcome here anymore. Um, <laughs> say it. Have you ever heard Martin Short? Like Martin Short's style of comedy is so brilliant. I, I wish I could do it, but he just did this thing on Jimmy Kimmel. He's like, what was it that you were saying to me off air about how the Proud Boys are more than just a group? Yeah, like, I love like Martin Short. He would Short. put things Devin, in people's he's got mouths. His energy at his age and his brain, it's like we can all only hope. Like it's, it's amazing. Oh, my God. Have you ever seen Jiminy Glick? Of course. Oh my God, his his comedy and as Jiminy Glick asking Mel Brooks like, "What's your beef with the Nazis?" Um, it's hysterical. He's so good, um, and, and a compliment to my Martin Short impression. Um, 
Well, anything else you want to ask Rodrigo before we kick everybody out so Brian can uh, talk to us about the, the real the real downloads? <laughs> um, I'm just happy to see you guys again. I know. We, we really missed you. Who won? Who won uh, the Fringe? Yeah. Who won? Sam Campbell on Best Show. And newcomer went to Laura. Fuck, what's her last name? Ah, I forget her last name. Uh, and did great you, shows. Did you, see, did you see Sam Campbell's show? Yeah, I saw it twice. Is it really good? I, I mean, it's insane. Like the fact it is, it is so weird and so funny. It is like absurdist standup. It, he's this Australian kid. His, he, I've been watching his videos online for the past week and he just makes me laugh so much. He is, you would watch his show just with your jaw open. It is so ridiculous. <laughs> um, he's so smart. Is he the one that uh, did the Troy thing that you posted on your Instagram? Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that, that guy. Troy. Right. I mean, that's just such a very small <laughs> Uh, thing, but yes. <laughs> All right, guys, that's our episode this week. Welcome back, Brian. We really do miss you. Next week, tune in. And I think, uh, uh, Dan, this all goes to the free people because the patrons are going to get the special look at the Britannic unaired Comedy Central pilot, which is fucking incredible. <laughs> I'm so excited that, that that's amazing. Thank you, Brian. No, you're yeah, welcome. Of yeah, course. Thank you for that. And I think we'll just give that out to the, the even at the $3 level, people will get that. So go over to uh, patreon.com slash RGP development. You can pay three bucks, watch that thing, and then say goodbye if you wish, or watch and listen to full versions of uh, this podcast. Um, next week, tune in because we're diving into relationships. We're going to be breaking down uh, why people cheat uh, if you're in a relationship that you're kind of feeling, should I work through this or should I leave? Some, some uh, questions that you can reflect on for that. A lot of useful tools around relationships as well as a special Patreon exclusive of uh, an exercise on how you can discern the, or answer the question finally of what type of biotype should I be looking for. For the first so time in history, we'll do an exercise in biotypical. Yeah. So So... Get prepped, get ready. If you want to do it live, we are going to be selecting one person to work with live uh, from the, the patrons. So lots of really cool bonuses coming to the Patreon uh, to get more in-depth and more value out of this experience. Amazing. I think that's it. I think we're good. I think we're done. Anyone? We love anyone you guys. Say something? Love you guys. Bye. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir. Au revoir.